Right now, it's Barry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. So do you have trouble getting enough sleep? Always. Yeah. I think I do, too. And some of, some of it's probably just my age. Mm. Some of it, I know, is also because people are making too much commotion in the living room when I'm trying to get to sleep. Uh-oh. But that's another story. It's really funny because I am a light sleeper um Typically through the night, I can be a light uh-huh. sleeper. When it comes to falling asleep, I just have the I just have a gift of like head hits the pillow, sleep. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> My wife's like it. She'll hit the pillow and pillow. I, how do you do that? Yeah. Zonked. It just, she just goes right out. Uh, okay. Well, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, they say a third of U.S. adults report they usually get less than the recommended amount of sleep. Now, of course, you know lots of us have apps that we. Particularly, if you wear your smartwatch mm-hmm. to bed with you, your Fitbit, your, uh, your, or your Apple Watch or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, it'll tell you how well you did on sleep. I actually had my doctor ask me one: Do you pay much attention to that? And I said, Well, I look to it as, as kind of a guidepost. I said, I, I, it's not like it's gospel to me, but I do pay attention. To it. it says, Well, good. Don't get too invested in it because I don't want you to over worry about some of the data you're seeing on that. Yeah, I think some, okay, so this takes me back to when my kids were little and I did not get much sleep, like when they were babies and I was up during the night frequently, I kept track so diligently and I made sure that I told my husband in the morning how much sleep I did not get. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. then I was like, oh, I'm tired because I did not get this much sleep. And then I came to a point where I had this revelation. I was like, stop keeping track and just... Ask God to give you what you need to be able to make it through the day. You know what I mean? Because I would decide how tired I was going to be based (laughs) on how much sleep I didn't get. And I actually Mm -hmm. realized it was better for me not to keep track and not to know. And just, you know, because the day is going to hold the same requirements. Right. Whether you know how much sleep you got or not. So there is a bit of a gift to not knowing. I mean, there is an importance of making sure you're getting good sleep because chronic diseases are the result of not getting enough sleep. And of course, many people suffer because of that. Okay, and there can be reasons for lack of sleep. We've already mentioned a few of them, but uh, here's some others. Reading phones or reading or watching shows on your phone or tablet too late in the evening and you don't have that blue blocker Mm -hmm. engaged in it because that blue light uh, has been shown to be detrimental to good sleep. And if you don't know this, you can actually adjust your phone so that it does go to... right. What did you call it? Uh, like a it's night a blue, mode. It's like a blue, blue blocker. Yeah. Sleep What's mode. It called? Yeah. Sleep mode. Yeah. You yeah. can set your phone to sleep mode. Your phone is still completely usable mm-hmm. when you're in sleep mode, but it won't give you that um, blue light that's going to make you feel awake. Yeah. I have my phone set to where it is do not disturb mm-hmm. from nine o'clock until 4.30. I get up at 4.45 here to get to the station at 5, 5.45. So that, that do not disturb is for everybody. My phone will not make a noise. And I've done, I thought, really well so far in my employment, getting up super early. Yeah, it's an not, adjustment. Not looking at my phone when I'm in bed. I, yeah. It goes right. on the nightstand and it stays there. Good for you. Very and, good. Yeah. And of course, the other thing is eating too late because that actually triggers an insulin release, which is linked to our circadian rhythm. So basically, when you're eating, you're telling your body saying, okay, I'm ready for action. Yeah, I've, I've managed also to kind of set to a term there where I don't eat three hours before bed mm-hmm. and I don't drink anything two hours 
before that's bed. That's smart. That's really smart. That does mm-hmm. help you to sleep better. Yeah. But of course, there are other things that will keep us awake, and that is anxiety. Certainly, that's a big reason a lot of people can't get enough sleep. You know, it, given that fear can be stoked each day from a lot of different things, either by something we saw on TV or mm-hmm. saw through social media. Maybe there's something going on in their own lives that is creating a lot of fear. Maybe there's some relationships that aren't in the best place. You're going to work and you know you're going to have to face this thing and you just don't want to have to deal with it. Yeah, that's that's certainly understandable. But Proverbs three twenty one through 26 gives us a prescription for wisdom that can help us manage that. In this passage, we're urged to keep a tight focus on wisdom and understanding because it will refresh our soul. And there's also a reward for holding on to wisdom because we can go to bed without fear. Mm. In fact, it says you will lie down and sleep soundly. Mm. Again, this is a general principle. If you've got some other stuff going on physically that may keep it, it doesn't apply. But as a principle, when it comes to anxiety, this should help bring a lot of uh, peace to your life. I do this audio app. It's a devotional. It's called Lectio 365, and it has morning prayers and evening prayers. And I listen to the audio devotions in the morning when I'm driving to work. But in the evening, like the last thing I do when I'm in bed, you know, I take the glasses off and the light goes off and I'm just ready to fall asleep is I, I start the the nighttime prayers. And it it will take you through kind of a process of releasing what happened that day to the Lord and saying, all right, I'm just going to let go of all this. I'm going to trust entrust all of this to you and I'm going to sleep. I'm going to rest. Well, Russell Meek is one of the writers of our today in the word devotionals. And of course, that's a great devotional to get into. If you don't have one, you can check it out at todayintheword.org. But he said that a mentor once told him that one of the most significant ways to worship God is to sleep. That's interesting to say. He said, because sleep is a physical way of saying, I'm not God. Resting in God means we give up our controls and acknowledge that God alone is in charge. In verses 25 and 26 of Proverbs 3, it says, You need not be afraid of sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked, for the Lord is your security. That's a good word That's for good. us. I love that whole, you know, mm-hmm. sleep being a way of... of Worship by saying, you know what? I'm not God. You are. So I can rest and everything's going to be fine. Yep. He's going to watch over us. Solomon gives us the way forward to trust in the Lord, to seek his wisdom and rest in his watchful care. So if you're struggling with sleep, especially if you know it's because of anxiety, it's time to ask God for wisdom. Give him each worry that's on your mind, acknowledging that he alone is in control and seek wisdom and then trust the Lord to care for you. I've got four kiddos. They're all grown now. I guess I shouldn't call them kiddos anymore, but they're always going to be my kiddos. But two of my daughters, when they were in college, were taking a class together called Perspectives. It's a deep dive into our identity and our purpose as Christ followers and how God, in his great love, has a role for each of us to play in making Jesus known to all the nations. So one afternoon, one of my girls was home from college and she was doing an assignment for this class at the kitchen table. And she read just a few paragraphs from her textbook to me. It was about passion. And this is what the author wrote. The term passion is used to describe everything from romance to hunger pangs. I don't know what passion means to you, but for me, passion means whatever a person is willing to suffer for. It's whatever you hunger for so immensely that you're willing to suffer for it 
end quote. So I thought, hmm, that's really interesting. And it made me just kind of ask myself, what am I willing to suffer for? And just a few things. I mean, what are you willing to suffer for? Oh, <laughs> I'm willing to. No, I, I guess I have to think about that a little bit. Certainly uh, there are my family. There are things I will do extra just to make sure my family is cared for. Mm. Uh, something I have to suffer for. <laughs> I don't think of it as suffering. It's just an obligation, but sometimes it does require a deal of sacrifice. Maybe not so much suffering, but sacrifice. Maybe yeah, that's a better sacrifice. word. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Ben? Can you think of something you'd, you'd be willing to sacrifice for? Well, with the first word suffering, it really puts things into perspective, you know, because I'm passionate about sports, but I'm not willing to suffer for the Detroit Lions. They've put me through it. <laughs> they've put me through enough suffering already. <laughs> I don't know if I want to suffer anymore. Fair-weathered fan, are you? (laughs) I'm passionate about barbecue and barbecuing. Mm. Do I want to suffer for barbecuing? You know, I don't know. Well, I know you smoke meat, and that takes some time, right? Don't you have to kind of, like, tend to it? The first hour of a long cook can be really temperamental. Yeah, I don't know that that Your temps can spike and fall, and it takes a little bit for things to get leveled out. Yeah. So there's a willingness to to give up some time for That's it. That's true. Yeah. For a good meal. It's a good way to put it. I think about like working out. I kind of fell out of my rhythm recently. And so I worked out on Saturday for the first time in a bit. And I am so sore today. Mm-hmm. I am suffering. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> okay, I, I can it, relate but... <laughs> to that because there are times when I don't get back to the, you know, the pool and working out in the workout area there. I've been two or three weeks since I've been able to get in. So I know I'm not going to look forward to the next time I get in. One of the workouts that I do is, um, oh my goodness, like Beachbody. Um, I forget what her name is. The gal who leads that like 21 day fix or whatever, but it's a video. So it's going to be the same thing every time. Right. And she always says, if you're tired of starting over, stop quitting. I just want to punch the TV screen because it's annoying as all get out. But it's true, right? So you start over again and and you suffer a little bit. But I'm willing to suffer to be able to get in shape and be healthy. So that's one that I think is worth it. But if you were to take this to like a spiritual angle, what would I be willing to sacrifice for or to suffer for for the sake of following Jesus, for the sake of the gospel? When God nudges me to forgive someone, but I just want to retaliate. I struggle with the cost, you know, Mm -hmm. my pride's on the line a little bit there. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, when I sense that God is moving me into something that I'm not comfortable with, I'm taking on a new project and it's an area of life that I don't know a whole lot about. I feel like God's saying that he wants me to do more writing and I haven't done a ton of writing. And so that to me feels like an area where I just don't have a lot of confidence and I don't have a lot of experience. And so I'm going to be taking an online conference, um, attending an online conference this weekend and just a little bit nervous about it, you know, Mm. because it's just new territory. But I think when God stretches us and asks us to take on something brand new, you know, that there's a little bit of a a surrendering, a feeling comfortable Mm -hmm. to be able to participate in that. But I mean, that's just tiny in comparison to what other people are willing to suffer and sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. I think about My daughter, um, Eden, before she went to Africa, I remember having a conversation with her. She sat down with a guy who was leading the organization and he had, I mean, she was like 20 years old and he had this conversation with her over lunch where he explained all of the risks that she was taking in going to Africa. And it was um, 
I was really troublesome. It was very, very troublesome. She had some nightmares after this conversation about the things that have happened and could happen and the risks that she would be taking and going to this area that she was going to. And so we talked about that. We wrestled through that together as parents with her. And she came back to us after having nightmares and after wrestling with it and having conversations with God about it. And this was her conclusion. She said, Mom, I'm going to Africa not because I'm sure I'll be okay. I'm going because the gospel's worth it. I'm going because Jesus is worth it. Mm. That was hard for me as a mom, but that's passion right there. First John three sixteen through 18 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus willingly gave up his own life so that you and I could have a relationship with God forever. He was willing. Jesus was willing to suffer for you and me. You know what that means? He was willing to suffer for us. If you do the math of the conversation that we're having, that means he's passionate about you. God is passionate about you. He sees you. He knows you. And he loves you passionately. Lord, fan the flame in our hearts for you that we too would be as passionate about you as you are about us. May passion burn within us for more of you. And may we willingly suffer for you, no matter the cost. In Jesus' name. Do you remember as a kid, I grew up in the church. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church, but as a kid, I grew up hearing the stories with like the felt board, you know, people that we'd put up on the board. You'd raise your hand. I want to put them up. I want to put them up. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> ah, felt board flannel graph is what yes, we call that. Yes, that's it. Flannel graph. Oh yes. my goodness. Taking me back to the day. But we'd hear the Bible stories about Moses and about, you know, David and Goliath and Daniel and the lion's den. But my favorite, I think is a little bit off the beaten path. My favorite is the story of Joseph. So if you're not familiar with Joseph in the Old Testament, his dad loves him and he has his reasons for loving Joseph. But the problem is he's got lots of boys and Joseph is just one of them. But everybody knows that Joseph is dad's favorite. So he had several wives and Joseph was the oldest boy of his favorite wife, which is a subject for another time. (laughs) But but the brothers hated Joseph because it was incredibly obvious that he was the favorite. And one of the ways that it was obvious is that dad had, Jacob had given Joseph this incredible coat that was a standout coat. Mm-hmm. And so every time Joseph wore it, it was like in their face that he was dad's favorite. And then on top of that, Joseph was a little bit of a tattletale. Right. And I think the coat also kind of signified a bit of authority that the brothers didn't like either. Right. I mean, it, it wasn't fitting for where he was in the birth order, all no. the things. And Joseph didn't help situation either because he was... You know, it was a tattletale, but also he bragged about his status. He's like, look at my coat. Yeah. You know, he kind of showed off a little bit. Mm. So mm. then he had a few dreams that he shared that maybe he should have kept to himself. Right. Some <laughs> things God gives you just for you. They are not meant for everyone. Good note. You know, just kind of put that one in your pocket. But Joseph's dad, Jacob, didn't help matters either because he knew Joseph was a little tattletale and he used that to his advantage. He's like, hey, Joe. Why don't you go check on your brothers and just let me know what they're up to? (laughs) Not popular with the brothers. No, it never goes down well. So no matter how you look at it, Joseph does not have a good relationship with his brothers. And they see him coming from a distance and they start talking about him and they're like, ah, here comes Joseph. I hate that guy. And they make a plan to kill him and they decide to sell him instead. That way they can at least make some money off of him instead of just offing him. 
So fast forward through a crazy series of events and constant promotion, even though he was sold into slavery, Joseph became the second in command to Pharaoh. Yeah, I know I'm fast forwarding. It's crazy. But he starts to predict with God's help that there's going to be a worldwide famine after seven years of plenty. And so he gets put in charge of all the provisions in Egypt so that he can make sure that, you know, after this time of there being much that he stores things up so that when they hit the famine, they have provisions. So anyway, his brothers end up going to Egypt for grain from him once their own supply starts to wear thin. And Joseph hadn't seen his brothers in like 20 years, but he recognizes. It's amazing that after that amount of time, he still recognizes his own brothers. Right. But here come these 10 brothers, right? Who are about the age that his brothers would be. He starts to kind of, just kind of keep an eye on the situation. They're coming from Canaan, like all the things kind of line up, right? And he's like, oh my goodness, I think these guys are my brothers. So these are the guys who hated him. They're the ones who wanted him dead. They sold him into slavery and they come and they bow before him as his dreams right. foretold. He, he recognized this was his dream coming true. Yeah. And begins to understand why God put him in that place. And they think they're bowing down to, you know, this Egyptian governor and they're hoping right. to get food from him. And they don't recognize that it's Joseph, but it's, it's all right and appropriate for them to bow before him. And they're in great need. But Joseph, not immediately, but eventually he reveals to them who he is. And he says, come close to me. I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And then he threw his arms around his brother, Benjamin, and he starts crying and Benjamin's crying and they're hugging. And and then he kissed all his brothers and he wept over every single one of them. Can you see what is happening here? I mean, Joseph had the power to retaliate. He He could could have have sent him away hungry. Sent him away hungry. He could have had them killed immediately. Yeah. Like they wanted to do to him. Right. He could have said, let me just give you a taste of your own medicine. I'm going to make you all slaves. I'm going to make you slaves for the length of time that I was a slave. Just mm-hmm. so you can see what it's like. Just so you know what you put me through. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But he didn't. He forgave them. He blessed them. He goes on to provide for them. They end up all moving back to Egypt. He, he calls for this, right? To be cared for by him during the famine. And this family ravished by jealousy and hatred is reconciled because one of them decided to be different. One of them decided to be godly. God was with Joseph the entire time he went through this whole ordeal. God forgave Joseph of his sin of pridefulness. God softened Joseph's heart and God gave Joseph the ability to forgive his brothers and to be reconciled to his family. God do that again. You know, we're coming up on the holidays here. We've got Thanksgiving coming and right after that, Christmas time. If your family has some brokenness, if you have a relationship that isn't right in your own family, don't retaliate. Ask for forgiveness, extend forgiveness and be reconciled. I can't think of a better time to be reconciled with your family, to do something different this year, to do something godly. Ephesians 4.32 says, instead, Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Well, I'm sure you've been told how important it is to watch what you put into your body. Some of you say, "Ah, I'm going to eat it anyway, (laughs) because I like it. Well, you know, you hear from time to time how athletes 
talk about how they treat their bodies as a temple. And they want to be careful what they put into it. And of course, they are, you know, well built. Mm-hmm. They they know they've got a job to do. And if they want to perform at peak performance, they got to be careful what they're putting into it. When my kids were still at home and we had a house full of athletes in season, you know, they would always give up pop, you know, and we'd make sure that the night before a meet, I had runners and mm-hmm. long distance runners, cross country, that sort of thing. So the night before a meet or before a game, we were carbon them up. You know what I mean? Doing right. what we could to kind of fuel their bodies to be able to perform well yeah. as athletes. Yeah. And of course, the, today you don't hear the athletes so much about talking about protecting the hemp temple. They talk about protecting the house and that's referring again to their bodies. Well, I remember John Madden, who one time coached of the Minnesota Vikings and more popularly known as a TV football analyst for many years. Uh, he one time kind of made an offhand comment about this, and that stood out to me. I don't think it's recorded anywhere, but I do remember him saying this once talking to his co-host, Pat Summerall. He says, you know, I get tired of all these athletes talking about how they're trying to take care of the temple. I think of my house as a garage, and I stuff as much into it as I can. <laughs> and if you saw John Madden, you'd say, yeah, he, he's following through yep, on that. Absolutely. Oh, so, okay. Okay. All that aside, uh, you want to make sure you are taking care of yourself. It, it is important to do that. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. Now, this mm-hmm. is obviously talking about the inner man, mm-hmm. but it's the same kind of idea, being careful of what we allow to get into us, because if what goes into our heart can also flow out from it. Mm-hmm. We see that in Proverbs 4.23. And it's not just a lesson in self-protection. It's not a how-to manual on protecting yourself from broken heartedness, and it's not a foolproof method for guarding against vulnerability. In context, it emphasizes the importance of guarding our hearts from the sin and evil that wants to take up residence within us. In one of our Today in the Word devotionals, uh, the, the writer reminded us that the word for heart in Hebrew is more than just an emotion. We tend to think of heart, we think emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he says it in the Hebrew, it's really much more than that. It encompasses our mind, will, intentions, understanding, as well as emotions. It really encompasses all of our inner self. And this is why we need to guard our hearts, because everything you do flows from it. Jesus reminded the Pharisees of that when he, they criticized Jesus and the disciples as they were you know, passing through a field and they were kind of gab- grabbing the, the grain off the uh, stalks there and then just eating it. And they said, hey, hey, your disciples haven't w- washed their hands, haven't gone through the ceremonial cleansing. And Jesus said, you know, it's not so much that what goes into you, but it's what comes out. Mm-hmm. It's what comes out of you. And he says, it reminded them that the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and it's these things that defile them. So I guess the question is then, if that's the case, what do we do to make sure we're guarding our hearts? Well, we should certainly consider the things we allow to enter and set up residence in our lives. Yeah, That means kind of paying attention to what we're watching, maybe things we're taking in on social media. Yeah. I mean, I really, I, we just came across this yesterday and my husband and I sat down to just relax and watch a TV show together. And we'd been watching the Lincoln lawyer, which is really, really great. But we got through all of it and we're like, oh man, sad because they don't have a next season out yet. You know, so we were kind of looking for something else. And so mm-hmm. we watched a, a show that we were just kind of checking out for the first time. And the first episode was so cute and you kind of got, it was like, oh, there's good character development here. And I think this is going to be fun. And then the second episode, 
started to kind of tiptoe a little bit into areas that, you know, that we just don't need to be entertained by, to be right, honest, right. you mm-hmm. know? And I was like, oh man, that's, that's such a bummer, you know, but it's like, it, it, that's this very thing that we're talking about is paying attention to what we allow to become normal to us, right? what we're desensitized to based on what we take in. Right. So that sometimes we need that introspection to say, have I allowed something to set up residence in my life that I need to root out and take out of our lives? Uh, we're not, and certainly we don't want to become like the Pharisees and become legalistic about it. Right. But we also don't want to fall into worldliness. So there's a balance that we have to work there. We And we do that by craving righteousness. Mm, that's that, good. And again, not being holier than thou, but mm-hmm. being righteous, desiring to be holy as God is holy, mm-hmm. because that's what he's called us to. I think the, you know, the, uh, what, I don't know what words you just used right now, but like not being holier than thou kind right. of thing. I mm-hmm. think that comes, that's uh, more of an issue when we put our own um, convictions on other people. <laughs> right, <laughs> you right. Know what exactly. I mean? like, yeah, yeah. Everybody has to fill in the blank because I feel personally convicted fill in the blank, right? you know, instead of just saying, you know what, the Lord's already spoken to my heart about this one. I know where I am on this and I'm not going to partake in fill in the blank. Yeah. So again, it's just a matter of allowing God showing us the way. And if we do that, walk humble, walking humbly after him, uh, he will show us the way in which we need to live. And, you know, we can, we're certainly not going to agree on everything we need to do allow through the filter in the gate of our lives. Mm-hmm. But if we we're really we have to take care of ourselves that's the point yeah. you know we really just need to take care of ourselves so that's just a, a good reminder to be careful about the things we're allowing into our hearts today and seek righteousness mm-hmm. do you need a reminder of your calling today do you need to be reminded what god has in mind for you and the purpose he has for your life well, if we look at John 21, three through seven, after Jesus died, we find Peter telling the other disciples, I'm going fishing. We'll go with you, they said. So they fished through the night without catching anything. And then early in the morning, Jesus was standing on the shore, but the disciples didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. And I just, I love this story because I think sometimes, well, Maybe we all go back to what's familiar when we're tired and when we're weary. And it does make me wonder what motivated them to go ahead and throw the net over one more time when they, at that point, didn't seem to recognize who the man was mm-hmm. on the shore. It's like, right, dude, do you even know what you're talking about? Right, but let's poke into that just okay. a little bit, right? Like, I mean, Jesus was gone. Jesus had died. Right. And... What they had committed their lives to, they left everything to say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm Mm -hmm. leaving my whole life behind. I'm going to, they literally, when Jesus called them, dropped their nets and followed him. And they're like, okay, from here on out, I'm not a fisherman. From here on out, I'm who you say I am. And I'm following after you, Jesus. Well, he dies and they're like, well, who am I now? I gave up everything to follow him. That's what I thought my whole life was going to be about. And now he's gone. So they 
they go back to fishing. Right. They're like, this is all I know. I guess this right. is what I'll do. Mm-hmm. And I got to believe that when some guy standing on the shore, some random guy says, oh, you guys didn't catch anything, huh? Why don't you try throwing your nets on the other side? You know, they know logically that Jesus is dead, but there's got to be a deja vu going on here, right? Where they're thinking, this sounds familiar, like a seed of hope, you know, mm-hmm. a possibility, like what? Is it possible? Let's, you know, let's just do it. Let's just mm-hmm. throw our nets on the other side and see what happens. You know, maybe they had hoped, maybe not believed or were convinced, but maybe they had hoped that mm-hmm. it could be Jesus. Because when Jesus first met Peter, he was fishing and Jesus told him, put the nets in a different part of the water. And when they did that, they caught so many fish, the boat couldn't hold it all. So that time, like I said, they left their nets behind and they followed Jesus to fish for men. Mm-hmm. So now three years and a whirlwind of adventure later, they're fishing again. And again, not knowing who he is, they have this deja vu moment of pulling in a ton of fish. This had to be a reminder to them of their original calling of the first time that they left everything to follow Jesus, a reminder that they had a purpose and they had a calling and it wasn't being a fisherman. Mm-hmm. It was being a fisher of men. And that hadn't changed with, with Jesus, you know, dying with his death. Mm. Maybe you need a reminder today of your calling. Maybe you're tired too and weary and discouraged. And I don't know, maybe this morning you just feel more like you're going through the motions and you're just trying to survive rather than, you know, living out the calling and the purpose and the identity that you have in Christ. Lord, remind us of the commission that you've given us and help us to live worthy of the calling that we've received. Thanks so much for listening. Questions or comments? Text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930. 